Thank you, Louise. We'll keep that reading open. We're going to look at that together as we come to the end of this series in Thessalonians over these last few weeks. This, just this last week, I've been reminded in a couple of different moments um, of how both we have great joys and, and faith as followers of Jesus, but at the same time, uh, we do still face challenges to how we keep going in that faith. Um, so someone in the church who's been a long time confided to me that their faith at the moment, they're going through a season where the faith is quite shaky. Um, and they really want to sort of go over the, um, the heart and the basics of what we believe and why. And I was at the bedside the other day with the Leggetts, um, with Dorothy in, in her last days in, in this life, um, and celebrating the resurrection on one hand and the hope we have, but also uh, facing together um, the difficulties of bereavement and mortality. So we grapple, don't we, all of us, with our faith um, in living it out and in the relationships that we experience. Now, we've seen over recent weeks with this letter to the Thessalonians what a great church in many ways this is that Paul is writing to. They are full of faith and of love for each other and of hope in the coming of Jesus. But we've also seen the danger they have of becoming a bit complacent. And we saw the idea of of kind of going to cruise control um, on the motorway of church life and faith and um, not keeping going, progressing on that journey, continuing right up to the end when Christ comes. And Paul said in chapter 4, verse 1, live in order to please God, that's our series theme, as you are doing, we urge you to do so more and more. So keep pressing on. Keep the foot on the accelerator. And then last week's passage ended with verse 11. Paul said, therefore encourage each other and build each other up just as you are doing. So there's, again, this thing of keep going, doing what you're doing. Keep building each other up until the day Christ returns. Now, if you've ever bought flat-pack furniture from Ikea, you've seen on it the, the immortal words, some assembly required, haven't you? I dread those words. Um, and then you open it up and the bits come out and then a bit of paper falls out, which has got a sort of a set of hieroglyphics on it in another language and a set of pictures in a random order and you have no idea what those assembly instructions mean, do you? And you have to make it up. Well, the good thing is that Paul has not left us to make up how we assemble the body of Christ, how we build each other up. And in fact, in this passage, there are two really straightforward, clear instructions for us. So just to look at those this morning, here's the first of the instructions um, from the first paragraph of the reading, verses uh, 12 to 15. We build each other up as, as God's people through the work of ministers and people. It's the work of ministers and people to build each other up. So those first two verses, as read just now by Louise, give us that command to value those who are over us in the church, in the Lord, who lead us in the church. Uh, We're told then in verse 13 to hold church leaders in the highest regard because of their work in the Lord. You might remember, thinking of the leadership of the Thessalonian church, that Paul 
at the companions. They planted the church, they shared the gospel in this city, the church began. They had to then leave very quickly, remember, without having time probably to appoint leaders in the church. So probably the leaders emerged through, the, I guess, the, the kind of attitudes and the service and the character and the gifts of a number of individuals there, and they became the leaders. And maybe Paul's having to say, look, those are your leaders. Respect them. Hold them in the highest regard. And he says um, in verse 12 that those leaders have three roles. There are probably more, actually, we could list, but he lists three. Working for the faith and the love of the church family. So they are working through preaching and teaching and pastoring and praying and visiting and so on for the faith of the people in the church. They are, secondly, caring. Verse 12, caring for the people in the church. The word caring there also means directing, kind of overseeing. Directing, caring for the spiritual needs of members, the faith and the love, the things we've already touched on. And then third, admonishing or challenging, particularly, we've seen this in the letter, where members are maybe straying in their Christian understanding or their Christian living, not living to please God. So there's three things there, working hard, caring, and challenging the work of the ministers. And notice it's not done that work um, from a desire for status or indeed recognition, but simply in the Lord. It's a spiritual thing they're doing. They're doing it because they're Christians. So, true leaders, ministers that build the church, are to be respected, but not because of the title they hold, certainly not mentioned here, but because of the character they show, because they are working, caring, and challenging. It's just like Jesus taught, isn't it? Jesus said that um, leadership in the church is about service, not status. Serving others rather than yourself. He says, hold such people in the highest esteem. So, we build the church, don't we? Not by flattering leaders on one hand or um, denigrating them, despising them on the other, but by honouring and esteeming them. And John Stott writes on this verse, happy is the church family in which pastors and people recognise that God calls different believers to different ministries, exercise those ministers with diligence and give the respect and love which their God-appointed labour demands. Happy is that kind of church. And what he's hinting at there is that the responsibility for spiritual growth for building up rests, not only with the leaders, but here we go on to the second half of this point, but with the people, the many as well as the few, what we call here the ministry of the pew and not just the few. So he then expands here, verses 14 and 15, on what that looks like. So if you're here and you're not a church leader or a minister, here's what your ministry looks like. Five things here. Warn the idle, first one, verse 14. Warn the idle. Uh, That could refer to church members who are kind of sitting back. Remember that picture of the beach earlier? Um, They think Christian life in churches is just sitting on the beach with the servants bringing you a nice ice drink every half an hour. Relying on, in other words, the servants around them 
but not serving themselves. Warn the idle. Churches still have such people today. Encourage the timid, secondly. Maybe this is people we saw back in chapter 4. Their faith is struggling because of perhaps they're seeing loved ones dying and they're wondering where have they gone, will they miss out on the resurrection and so on. Um, and, and Paul says, encourage them with the hope and the, the faith we have in Christ. Keep going. Third, help the weak. Again, this may be specifically the morally weak in Thessalonica. We saw there were some who were getting a, a bit confused about what marriage was, biblically. Were kind of fudging those boundaries and, and living lives that weren't honouring God in that way. And so he says, well, help people that struggle um, with these kind of moral challenges and temptations. Fourth, be patient with everyone. We've seen the potential for friction um, in this church, in, in Thessalonica. They've got people taking others for granted, sitting back, doing nothing. They've got moral temptations and challenges. Um, they've got people getting their theology of Jesus' return a bit confused as well. And, and Paul says, be patient with each other. Bear with each other. And then verse 15, the command not to pay back evil for evil, but to try to be kind. It's actually quite strong language there. Strive to do good, literally. So don't pay back evil for evil. Strive to do good to each other and to everyone. Probably there, that's the world around us as well. In the church, outside as well. Now again, Jesus led the way on this, didn't he? Teaching us to forgive those that hurt us, to pray for our enemies and so on. And Paul is just, just teaching Jesus' teaching and adding that positive here that we should seek, strive to do good, not simply to withhold repaying evil, to go for the positive, not just holding back on the negative. And there's a story this week, a very moving story, about someone called Stephen Drury, um, who's a Christian. His daughter... Claire died last year from a fatal drug overdose. Um, she'd been injected um, at some kind of you know, drugs party by a friend called Stephen Perrett with a double dose of heroin and cocaine, and she had died. Um, Stephen Perrett's been convicted recently of her manslaughter. Um, but remarkably, her father, Mr. Drury, has forgiven Perrett what happened and is now planning to visit him in, in, in prison in order to try to help him to turn his life round. Rather than, as he puts it, going down the conveyor belt of criminal justice. And he's actually setting up a charity to help to redeem other lives in similar situations. Isn't that remarkable? Don't repay evil with evil, but strive to do good to all. Isn't that great? And what we're learning here is that as, as we do good, as we help the weak, encourage each other, we can do this at the end of the service this morning, in conversations, praying with each other at the end, in our small groups. The ministry of the many is just as important as the ministry of the few. The work of ministers and people. We'll only grow as a church uh, in what really matters if we cultivate that depth of relationships together. If we have those conversations over coffee at the end, um, as we meet up in the week, 
if we pray for each other, not just at the front here, but in our conversation and relationships. That's how I discover, don't you? Um, you know, how you find it if I'm struggling in my faith, if I'm reading my Bible, if I'm going through a difficult time at the moment, um, if I'm drifting from Christ, if I've been hurt by someone. We only find out as we have those conversations and then encourage each other and pray with each other. So, it's the work of the ministers and the people. Second piece of church building assembly advice. It's the dedication to prayer and to the word. Dedication to prayer and the word. This is verses 16 to 22. Again, there's kind of two halves here. 16 to 18. Three short commands. You saw those there. Very pithy. Paul says they're the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. Normal Christian faith, in other words. These three things. They relate to what you and I should be doing tomorrow on Monday morning. And they also relate, maybe especially, to what we do when we gather together on a Sunday. They are in the plural here. And here they are, verse 16. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Paul spoke earlier in this letter about the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Um, he must mean that here, not just rejoice um, that Norwich City got a, a win the other day. Or Ipswich Town, sorry, cover myself there, whichever one you are. Um, we don't rejoice that the sun is shining only, but we rejoice as Christians that Christ died for us, that Christ is risen, that Christ is coming again, don't we? Rejoice always, especially when you gather. Second, pray continually. Again, Paul's not saying that we should never go to a meeting at work that we're meant to be at because we're too busy praying. Uh, or put the washing on because we're too busy praying to, to do the household jobs. But he's saying that attitude of humility and hope that really is prayer, being before the Lord in heart, should be with us all the time. Pray continually. And then third, give thanks in all circumstances. We're not... Again, being told here to be thankful for all circumstances. Some are very difficult. But we are being told to give thanks in all circumstances. Because even when it's tough, it's still true, isn't it, that Christ loves us and died for us and rose again. Give thanks in all circumstances. And those three things, um, if you like, it's prayer and praise and all wrapped together. Those are the core life of the Christian. Rejoice pray, thanksgiving. They're the core life of our church services. They remind us, don't they, that, that our services should be neither dull, because there's no joy there, nor devoid of structure. There's a kind of a flow here, a structure, isn't there? There's that thing about um, prayer and about joy and praise and about thanksgiving. In, in our services, we will have those components. We should have those components at points each time. So, that link to church service is probably the link into the next half of this little section here, verse 19. Paul moves straight on, having talked about what, what looks like almost like a service plan. Um, rejoicing and prayer and thanksgiving. On to talk about the words of God to us, God speaking to us. Um, talks about prophecy here and 
um, not putting out the Spirit's fire, quenching the Spirit. Now, in the Bible, prophecy is not so much predicting the future, um, though certainly in, in the Scriptures it can be that. It's usually particularly speaking, applying the Scriptures into the present. It's important to notice here, too, that prophecy in the, in the sense of Paul here, New Testament prophecy, is different from Old Testament prophecy. Old Testament prophecy, and that's what we call the canonical scriptures. So Isaiah, Jeremiah. I mean, in fact, even things like Psalms and um, the writings are also called the, the, the latter prophets in the Old Testament. That's inspired scripture. New Testament prophecy is different. It's, it's a more immediate way in which it seems that, that people in the early church were given the ability to apply the scriptures to a contemporary situation, either to challenge a church or a person or to encourage a church or a person. And it's particularly useful, wasn't it, in that time in the church before the New Testament was written down and collected because there was no apostolic teaching available in written form until then. And so the the prophetic activity was particularly useful then, though I, I personally don't believe it finished with the New Testament being completed. But it seems that this, this activity of people speaking God's words, applying the scriptures into the lives of us today, wasn't being welcomed at Thessalonica at this point, because Paul has to say, don't quench the spirit, don't put out the spirit's fire, um, don't despise prophetic activity. But on the other hand, he then balances it, doesn't he, by saying, on the other hand, um, don't just assume that everything that claims to be something God's saying to us today actually is, necessarily. He says, test every prophecy. Test them all, and then hold on to the good. This is where the word is so important to us. Hold on to the good. Don't reject it. Don't despise it. Don't forget it. But reject every kind of evil. So false teaching was alive in the church in those days, and it's still present in churches today. That's not true to Scripture, that doesn't honour Christ. So reject what is evil, but hold on to what comes from God. Now, there is some wisdom in in the New Testament about how we should test teaching that claims to come from God, to see whether it really does. Um, We haven't got much time now, but just briefly, I've referred to this really, haven't I? Um, Is this about Jesus as God's Son? Does it honour Jesus as the Son of God? Um, Secondly, does it come from the Bible? It seems that New Testament prophecy almost always was, was applying the Scripture to a contemporary situation. Is it from the Bible? And does it build up God's people? Or does it simply kind of, you know, make someone look special? Does it build up God's people? And what about the character of the person that claims to be teaching it? Are they a credible, trustworthy Christian character? So test every prophecy, says Paul. Um, Don't assume all these words come from God. Test them against the scripture. So there's the second way. We've seen, haven't we? We, we? We build God's people through the life of prayer, the dedication to prayer, and to the words of God especially when we gather.
on a Sunday and in our midweek groups. It strikes me as quite a surprise, really, that we have to be commanded to be joyful and thankful. Doesn't it strike you as a bit strange? You know, rejoice always, give thanks. Surely we do, we're Christians. But um, it's very easy to forget the blessings of God and to stop rejoicing in the gift of Christ to us. I think of a minister I knew who went through a time of discouragement and he sought the advice, you know, saying, I'm having a really hard time and everyone's being so hard to me, nothing's going well. Um, he sought the advice of an older minister who simply said, look, you know, I've listened to your story. Um, I understand, but it just seems to me there's no thanksgiving in your life. Remember to count the blessings God's giving you, and especially those he gives you in Christ. And he said that that was kind of transformative for his understanding of faith and ministry, learning to give thanks in all circumstances. And then as we think about listening to how God speaks to us, how we respond to God uh, weekly on Sundays, but also in our own reading of scriptures each day. Let's be ready as a church to name false teaching when we see it. Not just to be naive about what claims to come in the name of Christ. But let's also be ready to believe and hold on to and obey, therefore, what we know God is saying to us and is inescapable, whether in a sermon, something that someone encourages you with over coffee afterwards or in your small group this week. Dedication to prayer and the word. So it's, in that sense, very simple, isn't it, the wisdom God's giving us. And in many ways, our vision is is going to be driven by this simple focus on it being the work of us all, ministers and people, to be making disciples among us all through simply the life of prayer and praise and dedication to the word. But I haven't gone on to, have I yet, verse 23. We need to do this because this is a great reminder. It gathers the whole letter, actually, this verse, this prayer, into one place. It's a reminder that this is a work in progress. We're wanting to live in faith and love and hope as we've seen more and more. We're wanting to build each other up, as we've been told to do by Paul. But our confidence in that process of growth, that we will be ready when Christ returns, our hope rests not on our efforts, despite all I've said, not on what we do, but on God, who calls us and equips us. See what verse 23 says? May God himself, we're going to pray this together in a moment, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. That's a good verse to remember, isn't it? The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God will one day complete his work of cleansing every part of us. Um, The language is, you know, it's kind of head to toe. Every department of your life, he will cleanse and make morally healthy, ready for Christ. Not one little dot of sin will be left in my being or yours one day because of him. That's why the other we heard of Billy Graham's going to glory this week as well, didn't we? Um, he famously said years ago, he said, one day 
you'll hear that Billy Graham is dead. But it's not true. I will simply have changed my address. That's right, that's what it's saying here, isn't it? There will be a day when we see Christ face to face, where we will have changed address, but our spirit, soul, and body will be intact, resurrected, and in the presence of Christ. And we're sure of that, aren't we? We're sure of that, not because of what we do, not because of how we've progressed in our spiritual life ourselves, but because God is the God of peace. God is the God of salvation. God calls us, God sanctifies us, God keeps us, God will do it, God is faithful. Our faith may be tested, our love may feel weak at times. We build each other up in in this progress of growth, step by step, by the work of ministers and people, by the dedication to prayer and the word, But we need to know our hope rests, not on our deeds, but on God's doing. He will do it. Our growth rests on his grace. So Paul ends the letter with those words, doesn't he? The grace. And he's chosen these words carefully again. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So I'm going to suggest now that before we turn to pray or continue praying, that we just take the service sheet and look at the top of the sheet there. You'll see that for this week's reflection and prayer, we've put there verse 23. And I suggest as a prayer for each other today, we can pray that prayer together. And if you're very clever, can we change the you to an us? And the your to an hour. Can we do that? Yeah, we can, can't we? So if you're ready, let's pray verse 23 as a prayer for our church and for God's people everywhere. So may God himself, the God of grace, sanctify us through and through. May our whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said... Amen.